he always had one thing he would say. I don't know if it was his life quote or something like that. He would always say, we serve a good God who does good things. Hallelujah. Amen. I ask you all to pray for me tonight. Like I said, I, the preacher was preaching last Wednesday, and this text was in that message. So the Lord's just kind of allowed me to see some truth here, and I hope I can bring it out the, the way that he's shown it to me. I always hear preachers make that joke where they say about, well, the preacher took off his watch. What does that mean? And they all say, not a thing. I don't understand that joke. I, but I do remember hearing of a preacher one time saying he was in a church one time and heard the pastor announce that they had some sort of giving promotion they were doing. And he, and he said if they meet 80% of the giving promotion, he will buy a clock. If they meet 100% of it, He'll put batteries in it. And if they get to about 120% of it, he promises he'll look at it. <laughs> and we, we, we laugh at that, but I'm like, then he, then he said, but then the next church he was in, they didn't have a clock near the pulpit or on the back wall. They had a calendar. Could you imagine those services? Oh, I started on Monday and I finished on Thursday. Hallelujah. Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles, I want you to come with me to 2 Timothy chapter number 2. This is a, kind of an interesting thought. I've been, I've been looking at this since last Wednesday. There was a phrase that was in one of these verses, and I really want to just, just bear down on it, and I want to see if God can help us with this. Before I get started, I better go ahead and take care of this right here. I've been talking on the phone all day to people about medications, and my mouth's a little bit dry, so I'll preach fast. Hallelujah. 2 Timothy chapter number 2, let's pray. Father, I thank you, Lord, for your wonderful mercy and your wonderful grace, Lord God. I ask you, Lord, you bless, Lord, this text, Lord God, in this time, Lord God. Help our hearts here, Lord God, what thus saith the Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. 2 Timothy chapter number 2, verse number 22 says, Flee also youthful lust, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace, with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. But foolish and unlearned questions avoid, knowing that they do gender strifes. And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, in meekness instructing those that oppose themselves, if God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. And that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil, who are taken captive by him at his will. Now this text, when we, we see Paul is writing this to Timothy, he's kind of given this in a general form, like he's saying, this is how, as he said in 1 Timothy, how you ought to behave in the house of God. This is how you're to carry yourself. This is how you're to, you're to be found, how you're supposed to act. As, as God has put his church together, you'll find doctrine and instruction for his church here. But he gives some of these things, and we ought to all take heed to this book of Timothy, First and Second Timothy and Titus. We all call them pastoral epistles, but if, if we study them closely, we'll see truth that applies to everyone. We, we see here in verse number 22, it says, Flee also youthful lust, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, and peace. There's, there's things that we are to flee from. There are times where the Bible tells us to stand and to fight and declare God's truth. There are times where he says, just run. 
Then it says also not just to flee, but to follow. We, we preach separation, and, and rightfully so, we preach separation. We are separated from the things of the world. But there's also a separation unto God. We, 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 we find ourselves fleeing from our past friends, and they often will flee from us. But, in, but when they flee because you keep telling them that Jesus saves and they get under conviction about the fact that they're lost and everything, there is a crowd that, since they run away, that you need to start following after. And thank, thank God for the church, because I'm telling you, the church and the friendships and the people that I've come to know in the church have been a, one of the greatest helps. I've ever, I've ever known because I didn't really know what friendship was till I got saved and there were people who honestly loved me enough to pray for me and tell me these things. But it gives us instructions about like there's times when people are going to question you and you should know that sometimes if they're just looking to pick a fight, you just say, you know what, I don't have to answer that. If they're foolish, unlearned questions, avoid them. And talks about how the servant of the Lord must be gentle and not strive, have to teach and all these things. And meekness instructing those. There, there's people you're going to deal with that, that they oppose themselves because they would rather be in sin than be saved. And what you've got to understand is just about all of us were there at one time. And I'm so glad that somebody took the time to say, hey... Brother Troy, if you haven't trusted Christ, you're not saved. And then when things come up in my life, they took me aside and said, Hey, I see this in your life and it concerns me. They didn't always just get up and they just smacked me over the head with a chair like an old wrestling match or anything like that. They took me aside and said, I want to show you something out of God's word. And I'm still here today because there are people who prayed for me and showed me things and it's helped me. But verse 26 is where I want us to take a look at real close. We're, we're to give them instruction and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil. Now listen to this next phrase. Who are taken captive by him, the devil, at his will. If, if God will help me for just a, a little while, I'm going to preach on this thought right here. The will of Satan. I saw this in the text when, when the preacher was preaching last week, and it, it just God just drew my attention right here. That, that who are taken captive by him. Satan can take those who are against God, against not willing to turn and repent. Satan takes them captive by his will. Satan has a will. And I'm going to look at a few texts with you, but when I look at this verse and it says that we, they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil, I remember being lost. I remember being a lost man who was putting on a pretty good show. I remember on, in March 10th of 2011, I was lost. But I was carrying my little red Bible to work. I was doing all these things. But whenever I wasn't around anybody, it's almost like I knew that I was not saved. I mean, I got up, I gave testimonies about the fact that I got saved in vacation Bible schools and all these things when I was younger and I just didn't follow the Lord. And that next day, he dealt with me and showed me that I was lost. If I had not been dealt with by God, there is no telling where I'd be right now. I got a pretty good guess I'd probably be in hell right now. 
I'm pretty sure I got saved likely on my last chance to get in. I'm sure that if, if, if God ever had a record book and said, I'm going to give you such a amount of chances and he doesn't, thank God. I believe I got in on my last opportunity. I believe I was sinking in the mire. And on March 11, 2011, just the top of my hand reached up, just barely above the mire, and he picked me up out of there. But the Satan, I, I look back over my lost life, and I know it's a lot of scary memories that are back there. I can see how I basically did whatever he desired. I basically did, and I was at his bidding. At verse 26, it says, and that they may recover themselves. I looked, I looked at a, a guy who wrote about this about 500 years ago, about how, when he lived. This right here, they may recover themselves, it means or awake and come to themselves and appear to be sober as in their right mind. The metaphor is taken from drunken men. It is basically saying that those that are lost out there in sin and will not repent, their spiritual life is the equivalent of a drunkard. They, they have no control over their selves. They, they have no, you, you've heard the term, we tried to turn over a new leaf and that leaf fell off. And then we tried to turn over another new leaf and that one withered. And then a caterpillar got that one. And they just kept on trying to turn new leaves over. They were like a drunken man. They had no control over themselves. They may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil. For his carnal lust and pleasures are the snares and nets in which Satan, who may be compared to a fowler, catches some. So errors and heresies are those which he ensnares others who are taken captive or alive. So Satan has a will that he, that he, he takes people captive of. By him at his will, is, such are taken in his nets and snares as creatures are taken alive by fowlers and huntsmen. And they are held fast and become his captives and his slaves. I was a slave to sin before I met Christ. I had no power within myself. The Spirit of God doesn't live within a lost man. But when he saved me and he washed me in his blood and the one who's, who's the comforter and the instructor and the guide started giving me the ability to live free of sin. So I was captive of Satan. But when I got to looking at this, I wanted to look at a few things that show what Satan's will. Come with me to Genesis chapter number 3. Genesis chapter number 3. And if you've read your Bible at all, you've read this. Usually we read this on January 1st. And if you're going through it a little bit slower, it might be January 2nd. But Genesis chapter number 3 is a key chapter in God's Word. Genesis 3 verse 1 says, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. But of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. In Genesis 3, verse 1, that is the first time you find a question mark. Everything up to Genesis 3.1, and God said, and it was so. God said, and it was so. And, the, and he, he, God said, let there be light, and there was light. Everything up into there, there was no doubt, no confusion, nothing like that was brought into the canon of God's word. And Satan steps on the scene and introduces doubt. Right. 
It is Satan's will that you doubt God's word. It, it, it is Satan's will right now as, as, as I'm preaching or somebody else is preaching on Sunday, somebody's teaching Sunday school, for you to hear God's word and say, you know what, I don't really believe that. It is Satan's will that if you were to try to say, I'm going to listen to the preacher for him to get you distracted. It is Satan's will that when somebody would take the Bible and show you, hey, this is how you get saved. This is how you get right. This is how you, this is how you draw near to God. It is Satan's will that you doubt that. I'm telling you now, this right here is God's word. With a capital G and a capital W. This is God's holy word. And there is absolutely no error in God's word. But Satan, as the parable of the sower and the seed, and he being the devil, the birds that come down and take the seed, it is his will that when someone is up here preaching God's word, reading God's word, teaching it, and that seed is being sown into your heart, that those come in there and snatch it right back out. That, that seed is the word of God, and those, uh, those fowls are the wicked one. It is Satan's will that if I'm sowing something in your heart right now, to come and take that right back out. It is Satan's will when Sunday morning comes around, and the preacher is preaching, and doesn't know a thing about your life, and starts walking on them toes, it is Satan's will for him to say, he ought not be doing that. It is Satan's will for this Bible to be nothing more than just a book on the bookshelf for you. In chapter 1, verse... Oh, wait, that's not, In chapter Genesis 3, 1, there's the first question mark in God's word. And until here, everything is plain. It was so, and God said, and God did, and God made, and God created. Look at the response of Eve. There was only one person that could have given her what God had said. God hadn't it started a church or a temple or anything like that. It was Adam's responsibility to give God's word to his wife. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying he, he fumbled up and everything like that. But Satan in verse 1 said, Yea, hath God said, you should not eat of every tree of the garden, introducing doubt. And the woman said unto the serpent, there's problem number one. She answered. Oftentimes, I'm telling you this, when something comes knocking at your door, the best thing to do in this new technological age and everything is to look at who it is at the door and say, I'm sorry, I'm not home, I'm not answering that. Sometimes when something comes knocking at the door, not everything that comes your way is the will of God. It might be Satan knocking at your door saying, hey, let's introduce some doubt into your life. Let's introduce some sin into your life because if he can get you to doubt this right here, it's over. If, if the devil can get you to take God's word and just say, you know what, I don't really believe that means what it says, he's won. That's the, that is the inch that he will take and he'll run a mile, then he'll run a second mile, then he'll run ten miles. He will take that. Verse 2, and the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. God said you may freely eat. So she left something out. Verse 3, but of the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it. Wait a minute. God didn't say you couldn't touch it. God just simply said, don't eat of that tree. You, you, you may see it, it's, it's that one right there. Take a good look. Don't mess. Don't eat of that tree. Didn't say anything about touching it. So she took some of God's word out. Now she added this in. 
then lest ye die. That's the, that's the example that you'll see in the modern versions right here. In the, in the Gospels, when Jesus was preaching to those, and he talked about those that were being, to be brought under damnation, and Jesus used hard language. Every single modern version has taken that out. Oh, that's just condemnation. I'm sorry, but, but when you talk about eternity, it's not just condemnation. When you, when you take and lessen the effect of God's word, and, and years ago, I mean, they, they had all kinds of things they would teach, and they'd say, well, but if you're sincere, you can do this. And if, you're, if, you, if you really mean it, it's okay. The Bible does say not to look upon the wine when it gives its color in its cup, but a little bit every now and then won't hurt. What's that doing? That is lessening the effect of God's word. Because here, if I preach... And I say, well, you know what, social drinking's okay, but then I also preach that you have to abstain. I have done this to God's word. You know what? It's not as important. So it's Satan's will, number one, that you doubt God's word. Second thing, in Job chapter number one. Job chapter number one. And we know the story of Job. He's the oldest, oldest book likely ever written. Job chapter number 1, verse 6. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. And the Lord said unto Satan, Whence comest thou? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth and from walking up and down in it. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect man, an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil? Satan said, I'm, I've just been wandering around the earth. And he says, Hey, you know that guy over there? His response, Then Satan answered, answered the Lord and said, Doth Job fear God for naught? Hast not thou made an hedge about him, and about his house, and about all that he hath on every side? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands, and his substance is increased in the land. But put forth thine hand now, and touch all that he hath. And this is what Satan said Job would do. And he will curse thee to thy face. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, all, all that he hath is in thy power. Only upon himself put not forth thine hand. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. It is Satan's will that you curse or deny God. Satan right here, he, he is the sons of God. The angels were coming before God. And Satan came also. And the Lord noticed he was there. He said, Hey, where, what, what, what have you been doing? What have you been doing, Satan? I've been walking around the earth. Hey, you know that man Job over there? Oh, yeah, I know him. I've been trying to get in him. I've been trying to get my hands on him, but there's a hedge there. Hallelujah for the hedge. There's a hedge around that man. I can't get in there. But I'm telling you, this God, he's, he's, he is only praising you because you blessed him. He's only praising you because you protected him. He is only praising you because you've got a, a hedge about him. You take that hedge away, he'll curse you. It is Satan's will that whenever something was to come your way, you take this Bible, throw it aside, and say it ain't worth going on for God. It ain't worth going forward for God. It ain't worth nothing for God. And that is Satan's will that you deny God. 
cannot just be mindful of something right here. When something comes your way, the last thing you need to do is to put your Bible up. The last thing you need to do is give up. The last thing you need to do is give up on other Christians. The last thing you need to do is give up on coming to church. In chapter 1, verses 10 and 11, Satan accuses Job to the Lord that he only worships God because of blessings and protection. Do you only praise God on the mountain? Do you only praise Him? Or when you get down in that valley, do you look for the lily? Do you only see, whenever it's all good, is it, is it only time we praise him? Or when you're down and suffering, is it time to praise him still? Yes, it is. And in Job chapter number one, let me, let me just give, give you a little idea right here, and I want you to take this and run with it right here. Satan did not care about any of Job's family. Satan does not care about any individual. Satan uh, cares about being able to bring accusation against the brethren. Satan takes everything from Job. He takes his prosperity, he takes his, his cattle, his camels, he even kills all his children. That's how much Satan cares. He will destroy someone's entire life just for the opportunity to watch that one turn around and say, God, you're unrighteous for allowing this to happen to me. Friend, let me tell you something. The devil is not your friend. He is absolutely not your friend. He is an adversary. And he would love nothing more than to destroy everything you have just for you to raise your fist at God and charge him foolishly. That is Satan. Chapter number 2. After he lost everything, he, he sinned not. He, went, he, went, he fell upon the ground and worshiped. In chapter 2, again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan came also among them to present himself before the Lord. So he comes up to God again. And the Lord said unto Satan, From whence comest thou? And Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down in it. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth? A perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil, and he still holdeth fast his integrity, although thou movest me against him to destroy him without the cause. And Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin, yea, all that a man hath will he give for his life. But put forth thine hand now and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse thee to thy face. I'm telling you something, friend. The devil, I've, I've said it in the last time, I'm going to say it again. He would love nothing more than for you to look upon what's going on in your life. Get your eyes off eternity. Get your eyes off the prize. Get your eyes off of what we're working to do here. Get your eyes off of the souls that are getting saved. Get your eyes off of those who are getting called to preach and God's word being declared. He would love nothing more for, than for you to get your eyes off of eternity and get your eyes down here. Because if he can get your eyes down here, he can cause something to happen that will get your attention off of that and this why did God allow that to happen to me? You know, I was serving God. I was doing everything right, and everything fell apart. Everything came apart. And now, you know, I've got this going, I've got this going on. He said, if you touch his flesh and his bone, he will curse thee to his face. He accuses him and said, he not only accuses, he affirms that if Job lost his own health, he would curse God. Satan does not care. Revelation 12, verse 10 says, And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now has come salvation and strength in the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. 
And this is the name he gives Satan. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down. And this is what he is doing right now. Which accuse them before our God day and night. You know, if you messed up today, Satan's right now trying to get you, get you a curse before God. Oh, did you see what Alan did today? God, you said he's a child of yours. Did you see what he did today? Oh, but, but not only that, but did you see what Davin did when nobody else was around? God, how can he be your child? Satan, the accuser of the brethren. And friend, I'm telling you right now, it does not matter how close and how holy you live before God. He is up there right now trying to say, you know what, God, if that's your child, I ought to be putting him in hell right now because he does not deserve it. Friend, that's what, that's what he does. That's the devil. His job, his job that he has for himself is to accuse you day and night before God. One day God's just going to thump him off into the lake of fire, and we're all going to rejoice. That's probably going to be the loudest shout anybody's ever made. Hallelujah. The third thing, 2 Corinthians chapter number 11. 2 Corinthians chapter number 11. I'm pulling up to the stop. In 2 Corinthians chapter number 11, verse 1 says, Would to God ye could bear with me a little in my folly, and indeed bear with me. For I am jealous over you with godly jealousy. This is Paul's heart to the Corinthians. I am jealous over you. He, he, he had went and won these people to Christ. And Apollo Cephas... Cephas, Apollos, and Paul, all those had took part, and they said, but God gave the increase. And because God gave the increase, there's a church here, and I am jealous over you for, with godly jealousy. For I have espoused you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin, virgin to Christ. But I fear, lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For if he that cometh preaches another Jesus whom we have not preached, or if you receive another spirit which ye have not received, or another gospel which ye have not accepted, you might well bear with him. Look here in verse number two. I am jealous over you with godly jealousy. I would not take it lightly that we have a pastor that prays for each and every one of these every single day. I will not take it lightly that when the, the, those who get up here with God's word and give you instruction and give you knowledge and show you things out of God's word, help you live the right way, they may be jealous over you with godly jealousy. You know what? I care that Jonathan makes it to the end. I care that Davin doesn't live a, a polluted life. I care that all these little kids out here, I'm telling you, we got a bunch of daddies and mamas out here that's got testimonies that would probably give them nightmares. Myself included. I'm, I'm telling you, I don't want to even tell some of the things that I did before I got saved. But here's the thing. I am so jealous over my children's life that they don't have to deal with that. That they don't have a life like that. 
I don't want them to know sin and the world like I did. I want them to know Christ. I, I don't want them to know what it's like to have skeletons that rattle in the closet and one day you're okay, next thing you know you got memories that just plague you and plague you and plague you. I thank God for that song we sing, It's Under the Blood. But friend, I'm telling you, that's happened to me several times. I'm telling you, one of the things I had to get over, and I'm still not able to get over, and I probably won't be able to till I meet Jesus, is the fact of my past before I met him and all the sin and desecration I brought into my life and the lives of others I affected. I am so glad they have an opportunity not to know anything about it. I'm, I'm telling you something, friend. It's more than just they don't, have, they don't know what my testimony is. They don't have to live it. You have an opportunity right now, if you've got little kids and everything like that, for them to live in such a way that the only thing they know about mommy and daddy is that they only took me to church. They don't know anything about mommy and daddy's past life. They've never seen them pick up a bottle. They've never seen them do this, never seen them do that. And if they ever did, they know this, that God made such a change in their life that you know what? That's a different person. I got a new, I got a new set of parents because they got saved. It is Satan's will that the gospel be perverted. If it is not the gospel of Christ, it cannot save. I say, I say it often when the gospel is brought up. Galatians 1 teaches that if somebody brings another gospel, it is better for them to be accursed. What does that mean? It means if I was to get up here and preach another gospel, it is better for me to suffer for eternity in fire to spend eternity in hell than take a thousand with me. Because here's the thing, a gospel of works can't save. If I was to get up here and, start, and say, well, you know what, I'm going to turn this scripture this way, I'm going to turn this scripture this way, and Davin, the only way you can be saved is to work. You can't get saved by faith. You get, you get started with faith and then you walk on and your works are what keep you saved. You know what's better for me to do? Never preach again. Woe is me if I preach not the gospel. But it's Satan's will that the gospel be perverted. Verse number 13. This is, this, this is my, my text whenever you say, well, why is the Bible so important? Verse number 13, I'm so glad you asked. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And no marvel. For Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. I see, I see all kinds of debate going on online about what salvation is. And can I tell you this? There are those that preach false gospels that probably live more holy lives than I do. You ever had a Jehovah's Witness come by? And I've had, I've, I've had them, I don't know how many times, try to tell me, oh, well, you've got to do this, and God looks down, and then he accepts you at this point. Now, all these things, and they, they dedicate themselves to mission work, as they call. Mormons, they're actually required by their state. They don't have a church. It's called a state. They're required two years of mission work. You, you want to you be right in their group and everything like that? Two years minimum mission work. What if we said that? But I'm telling you something, they look right. Hey, I, before I got saved, like I said, I was carrying a Bible with me. I was, I was trying to tell people verses. I was doing all these things before I got saved. I couldn't tell you how to get saved. 
But if I preached another gospel and I still had a suit and tie on, I could very well deceive somebody. So we ought to be very careful that our Bible is our guide. Uh, a preacher said this, and I, I didn't write it down. I wrote it down in my heart. If what I say doesn't line up with the Bible, don't believe me, believe your Bible. If what I say lines up with the Bible, don't believe me, believe your Bible. Hallelujah. It's no marvel that Satan and his ministers are transformed into ministers of light. And I'm going to go one last place and go back to 2 Timothy. The answer is simply God's word. What kind of relationship do you have with your Bible? Satan can quote scripture. He did it to Jesus. Now he took part of it out and he twisted it to his own profit and his own direction. But Satan knows God's word. I, I, I saw a post the other day and it said the greatest theologian outside of Jesus Christ is the devil. He can make anything sound good. Why do you think those that are in these churches that don't preach right have such a large following? Because they can make it sound right. I'm, I'm saying you can take verses out of context and as Peter said, rest them to your own destruction and it sounds right. You've got to be very careful that you have a relationship with your Bible that tells you what's right. 2 Timothy chapter number 3, verse 16 says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. The devil would love nothing more than for you to simply say this, I'm going to quit. I'm going to give up on God. I'm going to leave the church. And you know how he's going to start doing that is working on what you believe about this right here. I'm telling you, it's, it's more to me than, we'll, we'll go ahead and just say this, the King James Bible, it's not my preferred translation. It's not the best translation. It is God's word. I stand on this reverently, not with my actual feet. This is my foundation. If it goes contrary to this, then I need to just let it roll off the side. If it goes contrary to what I know to be right in here, I need to simply say, well, you know what? My Bible is right, and that is wrong. We talk a lot about compromise, and I've been, I've been meditating on this for a few weeks. I've got a guy that I work with who's an interim Southern Baptist pastor in Athens, Georgia. And me, me and him's talked on a few times, and he, he started talking to me because I carry my Bible at work, and I wear a hat that says, I love Jesus. So he stopped me in the hall one day, and that's a dangerous thing to do if you bring up God's word. Because I can get written up for how long I could stay there and talk. But he, he, he stopped me and he, he asked me some questions and I told him like this, this is what I believe on this. And he started saying, what do you believe about this? And I said, this is what God's word says. And he said, well, well, I've seen this and these things and I was wondering how you feel about this right here. I said, well, to be completely honest... I'm not real sure because I haven't heard that before. Some, some new thing that's going out and I haven't heard about it before. I said, this is what I know. I know God's word. And I'm sorry I don't have an answer for you right now. Is that's what I told him? I said, I don't have an answer for you, but I'm going to get one. So I went ahead and said, you know what? I'm going to make it a mission of mine. I'm going to learn everything he asked me about. Because here's the thing. 
I can stand all day and say, well, Brother Troy believes and X, Y, Z. And that could do you absolutely nothing. But if I can take that Bible and I can say, well, salvation is in Christ alone because God said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him shall, shall not perish but have everlasting life. And they said in John 6 about where we can go to do the works of God. And he said, well, the work of God is to believe on whom he sent. Well, Acts 4.12 also says that there's none other name given under heaven whereby men must be saved. Well, Acts 16 says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Acts 2.38 says, repent and believe and be baptized for the conversion of your sins. Romans 10.9 says, you know what? That if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in our heart that God hath raised him from the dead, then we should be saved. And, that, and Romans 10.13 says, for whosoever shall call upon the Lord shall be saved. It's a Bible answer. It's not an answer, well, you know what, I don't think God would judge bad, he would only judge bad people who's done murder and kidnapping and stuff like that. I have a Bible, and this is where I stand. And God's word is that important. And I'm going to say this in closing, if somebody wants to go ahead and start making their way to the piano. God's word is so important because Satan, that's where he'll try to get in. You can say, you, Brother Troy, you, you mean the thing that I believe more than anything else? That's what he's going to use? Yes. Because if I can get you to doubt that King James Bible you're sitting right there, he ain't going to do nothing for God. Or what he may do is going to be a complete and total perversion. If I can get you to move from the Bible to some man's opinion, I've made you compromise. And as I was saying about compromise, I've, I've, often, I've often said compromise, and this is an old definition of mine, is never changing. And let me tell you something, friend, that's only half, that's only halfway there. Compromising is never changing on what you know to be right. But who knew everything when you got saved? There were things that I came to know after I got saved that I was like, well, you know what, if the Bible says that, and I'm doing that, if I don't get right, I'm a compromiser. Because if I know what truth is, and I move from truth onto error, and I know it, I've compromised. This has to be supreme in all things. Peter says it this way in 2 Peter, and I'm done. We saw him in his Mount of Transfiguration. We saw him, we beheld his glory. We have also a more sure word of prophecy. He handled Christ. He went up on the mountain and saw him transfigured. Could you imagine what that was like? Could you imagine Peter, James, and John were there on the mountain and Jesus Christ was transfigured before them and then Moses and Elijah just show up and they're all conversing with each other. And Peter, because he can't ever not talk, he was probably a Baptist preacher, Hallelujah. Peter said, oh, Lord, it's good for us to be here. Let's build three tabernacles. And they all vanished, and there was only Jesus right there. He said, hey, this is what you need to keep your eyes on. With that being said, he said, we have a more sure word of prophecy. Nothing should surpass our Bible, and that is where our faith has to lie. Hallelujah. Go ahead and stand. I, I'm done. If y'all want to come to the altar, talk with the Lord about whatever you may need to talk to him about. Hallelujah.